Welcome to Reconvene 2022, presented by our partner, Appfolio Investment Management, an all-in-one solution empowering general partners to streamline real estate investment management. I'm Moses Kagan. The following conversation is with Eric Weatherholtz of Healy Weatherholtz Properties. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for doing this, and we're gonna we're gonna. Uh, can you see? It's a little a little bright. Um, so you know, I think everyone out here knows who you are and what you guys do. But I just just for those who are maybe gonna see this on video afterwards, uh, um, can you can we start out by by you telling us like about this amazing business that you're in and where you guys are at right now? I will. Th- thanks. Uh, first, for having me, especially in this condition, I thought about wearing a neck brace just to <laughs> make it even more ridiculous of uh, what I'm doing. Um, but I appreciate you not uh, uh, are hiding your uh, being freaked out when we first uh, started talking. We would here. have had you, if we, even if we had to do this in sign language, we would have had you out here. We've been so excited about it. So thank you for doing it. Um, yeah, so our uh, business has morphed, has changed. We've got, right now, we've got... Um, 16 projects in the queue. Uh, we've got um, a couple of very large-scale things that we're a part of. We can talk about part of the, uh, we, we were lucky enough to get invited to participate in the redevelopment of Turner Field, which is the old Braves Stadium and the surrounding 70 acres there. And we've got housing and retail and hospitality and uh, office and um, uh, new grocery store, all kinds of stuff. A really transformational thing for the city of Atlanta. We've got another project that we've been working on, uh, believe it or not, for 15 years. <laughs> and it will reach its uh, apex. We've got one more big lease that needs to expire, which is in 10 years. So and if you go into our <laughs> office, it's like Shawshank Redemption of every day, like <laughs> waiting, <laughs> waiting for that lease to expire. And, uh, and so my partner and I just kind of look at each other and do one more day of digging, you know, with a spoon, <laughs> waiting for that to happen. Um, and uh, and then we've got and then we've got one other sort of longer term, larger suburban project that we've been pushing a rock uphill for ten years. So we're uh, our gosh, fifteen years on that one too. But um, so we've got these larger scale things, and then we've worked our way into. Um, doing these, uh, you know, smaller niche projects. And what we found is that, uh, uh, well, you know, we sort of created this, you know, tagline of, of bringing people together with patios, killer food, and cold beer. So we, uh, we uh, create, there's been this void uh, in the American landscape of, places for people to gather because there's no direct economic benefit to create a place to hang out. To build a green space, there's no money in it, you know, so, so they, they tend not to get built. And at the same time, uh, you know, work from home, um, uh, increasing online life, I think there's a sense of isolation. So having a place where you can be with other people uh, there's an inflection point of that. So, so part of the deal is how do you create those? And then what we found is if you can create something that's got energy to it, that's got vibrancy to it, the things around it start to improve and change dramatically. And 
So we've been able to create a business that, because if you do something that feels good, creates energy, creates vibrancy, and the stuff around it then gets a lift from it, if you can somehow participate in that lift, then you can make sense of these these projects. So that's so you're so I, I mean so this sounds like I mean for many of us this sounds like a dream, right? It's like um, changing whole neighborhoods, in, injecting like a kind of like a human level vibrancy into a into a part of a city, let's say that that has been underinvested. In. I mean that is like when you think about a developer, right? Like that's that's like a almost like a Randian dream of what you <laughs> what you bring forth into yeah. the world. Um, it's really hard and complicated and requires an enormous amount of skill and trust and capital behind you um, and government support and you name it to be able to get yourself into a position to do that. Um, I wanna talk about how exactly you got yourself into that position. <laughs> so I, wanted, I want you to start by taking us back. Um, uh, I think we were talking about kind of like early to mid 90s where you start to start to maybe develop a little bit about this this playbook that you that you have 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 now started to use. Yeah, the um, and I uh, through this platform, I've gotten to meet so many young people, and one of the things that I tell them is if you can if you can find a group that's really busy and has a ton going on, uh, you can slide in with little or no talent, and people don't notice for a while. <laughs> so you can <laughs> you can. Uh, <laughs> And so I was able to in the in the early '90s, everything was going to complete shit. And the the, um, the uh, I found a group that was the intermediary for life companies that were foreclosing on retail properties, and they were, you know, just overwhelmed. Uh, a property a day, you know, was coming into these different companies, and they and so they're only uh, they didn't know what to do with them. So this group uh, became an intermediary, and their charge was fix them up. <laughs> we got money, uh, fix them up. And uh, so because there was so much, and I was hanging around, they said, "Hey, you, you know, go here, go there, go there." And it was like every six months, doing you know really large scale, really small, all kinds of projects all over the country, seeing how somebody else screwed up. And then using somebody else's money to try and fix it, uh, <laughs> some of which worked, some of most of which didn't. And, uh, and uh, but you got a uh, you got a very clear visual of things that there was a repeating pattern of this works, this doesn't, and this works, this doesn't. And, and so by doing that over time, um, and then that sort of petered out, that that the world came back to normal. Were they were, when you're in that job? Um, at, it sounds like the Wild West in the sense that you're out there like running and gunning and probably with relatively limited oversight just because of the amount, the volume of, of, yeah. of work. Was there any concerted effort in that group to be like, hey, Eric, here are the things we know to do? Like, did someone hand you a playbook? Um, <clears throat> some of these, there was a, it was a really unique group that um, was from the uh, Rouse Company. And Jim Rouse was sort of a, you know, one of the big, uh, a, a Jerry Hines type figure. But there were certain things that I remember having conversations where like a, a, a guy says to me, um, you know, how high should that curb be? I, I don't know, it's a curb, it's, I don't know, four inches, like how, how, you tell me. And then if we're gonna build steps here, if somebody was gonna sit on these steps, what's a good, you know, what's a good rise and uh, rake of that, of that, 
thing. If we're going to have, um, if the, uh, the sun's setting over here, do we really want the dining of this, you know, um, outdoor mall to be in this area? It's going to be blazing hotter. You know, so there are these little things like that that you started to see, you know, gosh, where are we going to put the trash? So there were these sort of little logistical things that you started to take note of. And people that had focused on that sort of a thing, you started to piece together these, uh, you know, pieces and patterns and protocols of how things tended to work. Okay, and so you're you 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 kind of um, inherit, let's say, some of that playbook, yeah. and then you start to, and then you get the chance to experiment with it at a pretty big scale, yeah. pretty young, with not a ton of oversight. Zero. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds amazing. Um, okay. So, so, and then you said that started to peter out as these projects, as the properties get moved along to new owners or whatever. Uh -huh. What would you do next? So then that led to um, uh, a, a series of jobs that uh, with, with retail owners, developers, and because of that limited experience, I became the, the, the renovation guy, the redevelopment guy. And, uh, oh, get that kid to look at it. You know, he, he did that in Miami or he did it wherever. And so those, those sort of piled up and did, did those. And then that, the company that I was working for then merged with the public company. And so I was able to, you know, get a tour around hundreds of properties that all sort of fit that niche that we're going through. Oh, well, let's tear down the grocery store and build apartments or let's do this or let's do that. And then that led to um, doing, uh, then I, as I moved up within that organization at a young age, I got further from the actual doing and my feet started going to sleep and I wanted to, so, so I wanted to, you know, I was in a lot of HRE type meetings and stuff like that. And I, so I exited that and moved west to Phoenix and worked for a crazy nutso developer who was doing really large scale stuff. And um, retail again, retail, mixed use, but retail, sports, entertainment, really large scale stuff and did that. <clears throat> and so after having done all those things in all kinds of markets around the country, I was like, how hard can it be? I can do this, you know? And so then that led to um, starting a company and then, uh, you know, and then that sort of took its own path. But one of the things that happened, a seminal moment in Phoenix was, and I think I, I've told some of the folks around this, but my office across the street from the office was a, um, you know, cool little mid-century strip mall and a, a uh, person had fixed it up, a uh, local person did a really terrific job and I saw it out the office window and I kind of watched the whole thing go down. I was always, you know, I could be kind of shitty about that and I was really impressed actually like how well they'd done it. And, uh, and one of the places there nearby was called Postino. And Postino was a, was a new concept, a wine bar with roll-up garage doors. So this is like, you know, late 90s, and that kind of thing was mind-blowing. And every attractive person in Phoenix was required to show up at Postino. <laughs> uh, you know. And um, so anyway, the, uh, watching that all unfold, and then I was actually looking... Uh, driving around the neighborhood, looking at houses, and pulled a flyer out of one of the little boxes, you know, for sale. Three bedrooms, two baths, walking distance to Postino. And I'm thinking, like, <laughs> this 
guy is creative hostina is getting no value for that. But this is like the top selling point of this house. It's not really even that close. It's four or five blocks away. So what he had done had had this effect on a whole neighborhood of making it somehow more desirable. And I really had a hard time getting that out of my head. And, and so once you start seeing that of, of things that, that can be catalyst to kind of changing the, you know, um, trajectory of a, of a neighborhood, you start paying attention to it. It's funny that you mentioned that, like people who work for us know that I am an absolute fascist with our uh, rental listings about specifically mentioning the coolest little restaurants <laughs> yeah, and bars right. that you can walk to from each of those apartment buildings mm -hmm. for exactly that reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so you, now you've got this, so you, you, you obviously now you have a lot of experience in turning these things around. You've, under, you, you've noticed this halo effect. Um, you ended up in Atlanta. And that was just, was that like a family thing? That yeah. You, you, mm -hmm. Okay. And um, is that where you, you founded the company? No, it started it in um, uh, Phoenix, moved to Atlanta, and then actually met my now partner in the early 2000s. And we had, I'd actually, one of the companies I'd worked for before, uh, I had taken his, he'd left and I was put in his desk. So I knew him because some of his crap was still in the desk. <laughs> so I knew the name. And anyway, uh, we, we uh, shared an attorney. I had my small business, he had his small business, and we shared an attorney who was like, you should meet this guy, he's in the same building as you. And so we started, um, uh, we said, well, you want to team up on this? You've got a copier, I don't have a copier, I could use a copier, we can, <laughs> you know. Uh, so we teamed up on a couple of things, and then that was, you know, um, you know, whatever it's been, 15, 20 years ago, so, yeah. So I want to talk about, okay, so, so you've, you've, obviously you've learned uh, these lessons about, 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 how to, about how to make cool places, but it still doesn't, there's still a leap from kind of knowing the stuff and working from other people to redeveloping a baseball stadium. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about the steps in between. So like those first projects that you did with your partner where you start to actually, where you have ownership and you start to, to, start to, to, to try to put these, um, these innovations, let's call them, into effect. What was that like? Like how do you go convince a bunch of investors to trust you that you're going to make this thing that no one else is making uh, and have it be cool? Yeah, it's, um, well, it, our, our partnership's funny because um, he's the, uh, we, we've been in partners for, you know, 15 years or whatever and have really never had a disagreement. One, because we know how to push all the buttons, you know, <laughs> and to, you know, make somebody feel, uh, you know, just turn you in the wrong, turn you off a, a crazy idea to begin with. So he's great, great at, at uh, nixing crazy ideas when they're, when they begin. Um, but the, <clears throat> the idea has always been, if we do this base, if we buy this for X and do nothing, we can run it for Y, right? So, so if everything goes to shit, we, we've got this. Now, let's say, okay, um, we can go down that path or we can add a little bit more things to it. And we, we've got enough room to add this, but even if that doesn't work, we've got this baseline of an okay deal. And if it does work, we're going to get... Um, you know, some multiple of that. So, uh, you know, a great, or an example of that was, um, uh, and, and these times are, are somewhat reminiscent, but um, we were 
uh, we'd been in business for four or five years, and uh, 2009, and we were in our office building. Uh, we, we'd gotten this idea to buy this um, really terrifically located property near the best mall in town, and it was, you know, really cheap, but it was 2009, and it was weak. And the, the uh, people heard me write about old coots. The, the old coot guy that owned our office building, uh, I'm riding down the elevator with him, and he said, you know, hey, what's going on? What are you up to? I said, well, I'm going to a, uh, I'm going to a closing, and we're buying, you know, this property. He's like, oh, wow, good for you. I said, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm going to go get all my cash out of the bank. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I remember that, those days really and, uh, well, actually. Yeah, I was like, oh, great. This, you know, this be, uh, should be just fine. <laughs> and, uh, but, the, uh, but the idea there was um, our basis was such that uh, we could uh, do nothing and have a pretty good outcome. And what do you, so, okay, so that, I, I, I love that um, as, a, as a kind of a baseline framework, like, this is our, our worst case scenario, or maybe not the worst, but a most down, a conservative scenario is this works out okay. But you must be, when you're looking at these properties specifically, like, um, you're, you're not, you're looking for the option value. Like, you're, there, there's, it's either, it's coming with extra land, it's coming with more development, right? Like, it's not just the yield. It's the yield yeah. as a baseline. And then what are the other kinds of things that you look for? Uh, what makes one of these things special enough to warrant your attention? So it, it, it works two ways. So benefiting, um, so, so in that instance, we had to be able, so our, our initial business was finding spectacular locations, ridiculously cheap, with like a year to close. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, they're everywhere. And, um, and, and we did a couple just because they were available at that time of the world and they were wild successes. But then there was like, okay, that was over. Now what do we do? And, um, and those kind of things were impossible to find. And so then it, it became like, okay, how else does this work? And then it sort of went back to, gosh, we did this project and everybody else benefited. We did this and this tenant made a fortune. We did this. So, so then it became, how do we take what we do, participate in the uplift of the surroundings? And also, um, you know, over the years, we've made hundreds and hundreds of little bets with new uh, retailers and food and beverage people, we'll give you a little TI and hope we get it back, you know? And sometimes it would, sometimes it wouldn't, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But we started to see, here's what can work. Here's the kind of people that tend to be successful. Um, and so let's make a more concerted effort of participating in their success and their downside and at the same time participating in the surroundings and the uplift in value, and then that opened a whole new playbook. So, th so the stuff that we're doing now is planning some sort of catalytic piece that can then light a fire on what's around it, but then participating in that fire, one way or the other. So one way is we might be doing it with a municipality who says, you do what you do, we'll give you free land, we'll build your parking deck, and we'll finance your building. Or it might be with a developer who says, uh, you know, I'll give you the land because I'm going to benefit from these apartments around it. Or it might be us saying, we're going to do all this land. 
uh, we'll do this and then we'll JV with other developers to do the, the really hard stuff. Um, and then on the other side of the equation is having targeted uh, participation with really good operators who are, you know, the, the great operators don't know how to open stores a lot of times. They don't have the capital. So if we can come in and provide capital and a tremendous location, then participate in their upside, we've solved a lot of their problems. And so they're happy to say, oh yeah, let's team up, we'll share upside with you because you've teed us up with this terrific opportunity. There's so many different threads I wanna pull there. Um, one is, so you started out with this a playbook that you were handed uh, very early in your career, and you've obviously got a chance to iterate on that. And now you've added to it a whole, almost like a whole other section about identifying operators, who's likely to work, what business models work. To what extent is this actually, is this like written down and systematized and uh, versus being in Eric's head or your partner's head? <clears throat> We've started to, we were having a conversation earlier of like, if you go to cool, small scale places, you can go to it in Venice, you can go to Santa Monica, you can go to San Luis Obispo, you can go to Phoenix, you can go to Dallas, you can go to Miami. You can go to <clears throat> There's a consistent components that have that. Um, I've written some about what are some of those things. Nobody's really reinventing. There may be some crazy, um, you know, whatever, like the Chicago Bean, or, you know, there, there may be some art piece or something, but generally, like, great neighborhood places that are vibrant share these common components. Would you mind, I know you've written about this, but I, for, for the benefit of people who haven't read it, would you mind ticking through some of those? So if you have a space that's, um, uh, you, you know, you think about sitting outside in a place, and once it gets over maybe 40 feet across, you, you can't see the face of those people over there. So it becomes a little too big. So if you have a rectangular space that's maybe 40 feet in, in a couple of directions, you have walls that are maybe on two sides that start to enclose the space so that you feel, you know, a bit of comfort. You take a, um, put a roof on it with either a tree or some umbrellas or a uh, open structure with arbor with vines on it. You, you put an edge along the side, you put a carpet of pavers or um, gravel or that kind of thing. You have ivy growing on the walls for the artscape. You have an indoor outdoor into the space around it. You've got maybe a fountain or a fire pit. You take those components, it's gonna be a pretty kick-ass place wherever it is, right? And so they're, they, it's not a prototype, but they're pieces and parts. And then if you add to that, um, maybe I've got a view towards, you know, uh, I've got a FICO view to this thing over here, and I've got, you know, somebody bringing me, you know, cold beer and tacos, that's going to be a good place. And people are going to, by default, and there's different places to sit, and there's these kind of chairs, and there's the, you know, you take, put all those little components together, you're going to have a vibey place. And so then that then leads to, you know, what's around it and, and you can start to transform an area so that the area that was next to it that might have just been a parking lot is now got some energy to it. And what I love about that, and you already mentioned it, but I want to underscore it, is that fundamentally the financial incentive to create the thing, the beautiful thing that you just described there is no financial incentive right. to create it because it's a crappy use of space right. viewed in isolation. 
economically. Yeah. Right. Like it's just not like the, you, those are not that's not financeable. It's not the right use of the land. It's not. But we all know that humans love it. Mm -hmm. And so the problem that you're solving is how do you create this space that humans love, even though the, the financial incentives run counter to creating it? Yeah. And so that's when you start looking outside of that little thing. What is that halo effect? What, what impact does that have on around it? Well, there's true value being created, you know, and people start to recognize that. We've all experienced it. There's a human draw to those kind of places. We know it, you know, uh, intuitively. So then it's like, okay, how do you, how do you uh, position yourself to benefit from that empirically? And then that's, that's how our business has grown. It's funny, as you, you know, when I, I mentioned this to you before, and I think I've, I've, I always, every time, or almost every time Eric posts pictures of these spaces, I end up commenting like Lindy AF. <laughs> and the reason I, and it, and I, the reason I keep doing that repeatedly, and the, and the reason is that it, 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 I love that you're on this voyage of figuring out this playbook. Meanwhile, as you have mentioned before, you walk around any European city, and that's the playbook. Like it's, 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 so you're almost like rediscovering something that humans have been doing for God knows how many thousands of years, yeah. but somehow we forgot how to do it in our little, you know, 200-year-old country. Yeah. Yeah. Colin and I were in um, Italy last week. You know, you take a picture in front of the open-air market. We have not taken a picture in front of Ralph's up here. You know, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so you do have there is you, there is a game plan, and you and so now you're so you're looking for um, places to employ it, and you've you've mentioned a couple of ones that almost seem like they're served up to you in a sense. Like it, you got to the point where your reputation is such that a guy who owns a huge office building might come to you and say, hey, just take the ground floor and like make something cool out of it, right, mm -hmm. okay. Um, those are opportunities that we here are not gonna get because we're not Eric Weatherholtz. But you also mentioned other ones where you're more actively uh, participating in aggregating the land. I want to talk about the nuts and bolts of that process. So, of course, you're gonna, there's the, the central parcel that you're going to build this patio on, let's call it. Um, how do you go about aggregating enough uh, other land in the immediate vicinity to make the thing economically viable from your perspective without driving the costs through the roof? Yeah. Our, <clears throat> we have, um, we're participating in three of these right now. Um, so one is the Turner Field, where I mentioned, where we were basically invited in by the by the group that had had teed it up, much more capable group. Um, but they um, <clears throat> they saw the um, they don't do what we do, but they do. They're terrific developers of apartments and office buildings, et cetera. And so there. Um, it's sort of an interesting case study because there, uh, you know, our participation is in maybe 35 acres. And on one little strip, there were um, buildings that have been vacant for 60 years. And this little strip, the reason they're vacant, this was like a very vibrant community uh, before the government stepped in to help and built a uh, <laughs> built a stadium, and then that stadium didn't work, and then they built another stadium, and then they did the Olympics, and then they, you know, and, and so they, they ripped the soul out of this little neighborhood that used to have a little streetcar and shops and a hospital and all these little things, great little community, 
and, uh, and, and uh, the heavy-handed government ran all that off, and they sat vacant because it was easier, more profitable to park cars the 80 days a year for a baseball game than to have an open shop. Anyway, so when the Braves left, that opened up the opportunity to take these small little buildings and start to re-tenant them. And so imagine, uh, you know, two blocks within 35 acres of asphalt parking. You know, it's like completely Crazy. unappealing. Right. Yeah. It's surrounded by a banged-up neighborhood. And so we spent about five years putting in 14 different restaurants, I think 10 different little patios in that three-block stretch. <clears throat> the idea of us doing that resonated it blew my mind how it resonated with people. Like, we just said, we're going to do this. And people were like, oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> we didn't actually even do anything. We just had some pictures that we're going to do this. And so that <laughs> led to uh, 700 student housing beds being built. That led to 100 for sale, terrific little townhomes being built. And then we started to do it. Did you, can I ask, did you buy those little, the, the, that, that strip there? Yeah. Of it? Okay, so you guys, and you, you, did you have to go through one by one and make deals with each of the owners, or did someone already own the whole thing? It, it, well, it came up that it, it was owned by one group, and they had, they got, got squeezed because they were in the parking business, and now they're And suddenly there's supply. parking cars. Yeah. Right, okay. So, in going through that, <clears throat> we spent, and this is sort of the, uh, the, the nexus of the thing, so not even all of these 14 places are open yet. Only like 11 of them are open five years later. It's, it's, a, it's a long journey. But through that led to us doing 300 apartments, uh, two other groups doing another 300 apartments on the site, or adjacent to the site. A new, uh, there hadn't been a grocery store at this place in 60 years. So we got a new grocery store, we got all this. <clears throat> and the punchline is we recently sold, spent about, this isn't being filmed, is it? <laughs> uh, we spent like, I don't know, let's just say $20 million fixing up this little strip. Five years later, sold it for basically 22 or $3 million. Blood, sweat, and tears, right? To make essentially no money in the, one of the hottest markets in the history of man. But, <laughs> and so that's why people like, it's a, that was a sucky deal. You know, it's so hard to do. 14 individual leases, you know, that, that, that. But, that, uh, and to make no money with all that. But that, just on what we have, has increased the value of that land by $100 million or more, right? And there's tons of houses all around that that have, and, and what's interesting about this place is it's a, um, it's not the kind of place that benefits from the overall uplift of, of, a, of a good market. You know, it, it's a, it was a challenged, banged up part of town, but it's been transformational of, of, you know, families that have lived there forever and seen what they own go from a house being worth a hundred grand to being worth eight hundred grand. You know, like transforming wow. all They're kinds of generational type yeah. change in yeah. And there's you can talk about the wrinkles that that has with it if you didn't own the house or this, or this. but um, it's been uh, that one the little piece that we did became the catalyst for, you know. Uh, an immense amount of value creation, even though that, so when most people look at doing that thing, they're like, why would I ever do that? I've spent five years and not making any money? No, no thanks. I got better stuff to do with my time. Um, but if you can broaden your lens, widen your lens, open the aperture and, and participate in everything around it, 
And that's where it gets really fun. That's where the value creation is. Yeah. I want to, in the, in, the, in the couple minutes that we have left, um, I want to talk about your engagement with, the, with this community. Um, you know, if, as I look out here, you know, I'm, I'm 42. There's a lot of people here who are in their 20s. You're, you're, you have, you're at the point in your career where you've done so much. You've got, like, I mean, you, you've just done huge, amazing things, and we'd all love to, love to be there. Why take your time, which is valuable, to engage with a bunch of uh, uh, young hustlers like us. <laughs> or like them, I'm not that young. <laughs> well, the thing that's been crazy is I could have a meeting almost every day in Atlanta with somebody that I, had I didn't know existed that have, has reached out and these um, just young killers. Uh, you know, you can go to, uh, you know, we're in uh, France Earlier in the year, I met our, our guy, Roth. Love that guy. <laughs> um, uh, you know, met Richard. So, so it's opened up people that you would never get onto. That's one. Two, there's a fresh set of eyes of like, uh, you know, you meet these wildly successful people at these very young ages, it's just mind-blowing. And they're asking me for advice, and I'm like, Shit, give me a job, man. What are you talking about? Um, like the amount, of, the amount of stuff that people have, have created is just staggering. You know, and, I, and I, I told you, like most of these, I was doing Jimmy John's renewals at the same time these guys have, you know, fortunes that they built. So, so I'm, I'm getting more out of it than that. And then there's the idea of... Um, uh, being a Pied Piper about, because I found this thing that works, and I know it works uh, uh, everywhere, or can work everywhere. So being able to, to do that and making the world, not to get too esoteric, but making it a little bit less sucky. <laughs> and if we, can, if we can start to create these sorts of things, we all benefit from a much better, a much better place. There are the, um, couple couple things I want to think about. Like if you... Uh, Imagine a, um, and this is sort of the essence, because it doesn't take a whole lot of money, but you, you think there's probably less things, not many things less inspired than like, the, like a Home Depot parking lot, right? <laughs> and then you say, okay, uh, imagine that somebody set up in the corner, the far corner, one of those little pop-up tents, you know, and a guy pulls in and uh, backs his pickup in there and starts selling tamales, right? And you see that. And maybe, there, maybe then he, you know, and these, these things iterate, maybe he puts out a few folding chairs, <laughs> maybe there's a, uh, some music going, and you're going in to get a new rake, and you're like, what's up with that, you know? And I want to go over there, and so you pop in there, you know, and he's like, here, have a seat, you know, and, you, and you're kicking around, and you're eating tamales, and you're like, this is, this is kind of awesome. <laughs> and then you might, here, meet my son. And let's say that, that you strike up a conversation with this guy. It's, it's not a huge leap. I know this sounds crazy, but it's not a huge leap that that guy could be working at Adaptive. Like, you could see how that could all happen. And so by creating these little places, um, you know, these kind of uh, things can happen. And so the other reason that I, wanted, that I love meeting people is that there's no shortage of ambition in this room, right? None. No shortage. <laughs> no. And I know what's going to happen is, I call it the, uh, the then what conundrum, 
okay, so, so oh, I'm going to get $100 million, $100 trillion of assets, and then I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And then what's going to happen is these people are going to get these things. And then they're going to be like, all right, now, now what? <laughs> and if you haven't thought about this along the way of what have you done, so we can do things with buildings to make the world a little better. We can do things, and it, and it doesn't have to be making things like fancy or, in fact, it's, it's no more difficult than the pop-up tent in the corner of the Home Depot. But then it's about these relationships that you create. You have let it slip <laughs> about this uh, Ukrainian contractor, right? So you think about all the stuff that you've done. You know, you got all these buildings, you got all the... But if you went back and said, what have I really done? You know, you, you've, you've created places for people to live. That feels pretty good. You've made some money. Eh, once you've had it, it's, you know, that's great. But little things like that is something that you can look back and go, man, I was on this planet and I did something cool. And I, I, I helped that guy out, you know? And I think that there's a, um, if I were to share anything with a younger self, so that, you, getting back to your question, is there's... <clears throat> Don't miss the opportunity to deal with the people and the places that when you're looking back on it at an advanced age like me, you're like, man, I, I actually did something cool. You know, and it's not about, because once you, the money's going to be a very small component of that. And you're going to get pretty bored. It seems like you wouldn't be. But, you know, after that, it's like, yeah, what is that doing for me? But who did you impact? How did you change communities? You know, the, the guys in um, Greenville. You know, <laughs> doing stuff like that. Uh, so many opportunities to do positive things like that. Um, anyway, yeah. I absolutely love that. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate you sharing it with all of us. Thank right you. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Okay. And thanks all of you.